Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your love and for the cross and Your great work on our behalf. Lord, we thank You that that cross is truth that confronts our lies. It makes us whole. It's a reminder that you didn't stand at a distance, but you showed up. And so show up as you have already. Anoint your word as you've anointed this service. This we pray. Amen. Well, it's great to have Ashley Miller-Brown in it. Yeah. I mean, she does it for the glory of the Lord, but she's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Ashley, for stepping in and, and leading us in worship along with Anthony and the entire team. Wow, thank you for being here. I mean, it's chilly outside. Uh, you see, I, after I left Martha Bowman, I served in Albany, Georgia. I served on St. Simon's Island, and I served in Statesboro. I got to tell you, I had to get me some winter jammies coming back to make it. <laughs> and so I'm glad you got up out in this cold and came to worship. Well, I want to share with you, now this is a scene from the summer, but uh, I love church camp, and I went to church camp. Uh, it was a very rustic place. In fact, the shower house, get this, for the guys and girls, two sections uh, partitioned off by cinder blocks, okay? We're talking rustic with no ceiling over the shower house. And so that made for an interesting showering experience. The guys on one side, the girls on the other with this open air architecture. And one night, me and the fellas broke away, snuck out of our cabin, went in the canoe, and paddled and frog gigged. The next day, we had these huge bullfrogs. And one of them dared me, and be careful if you dare me to do something. One of them dared me and said, I dare you, Tim, to throw one of those bullfrogs while the girls are showering over the wall. Ask me if I did it. I did it. Multiple bullfrogs were coming from the, from the sky on these girls. And there were a lot of motives for that. But there were a lot of screams coming from the shower house. Well, I got in trouble. And the camp director sat me down and he said, Timmy, did you throw those bullfrogs over the wall? And he said, you better not lie. There's something about lies. We have a temptation to make statements that are untrue. We can even live our lives in such a way. I remember being a part of Kairos for a weekend. That's a prison ministry for residents who are incarcerated in our state prisons, and uh, some of our folks in here are very much a part of that. It's a huge ministry, significant. 
And I remember a closing, and, and one of them said, I am tired of living a lie. And it's time for me to be true to God, true to my family, and true to myself. It's devastating when something is said and it becomes a reality for us. What is it about lies? Well, we don't have to listen hard to hear them. In fact, we're inundated with lies every day. And I want to suggest to you that there are points of origin. And if you have your message notes, I encourage you to follow along. There are points of origin, just like cancer that metastasizes throughout the body in the same way lies begin with a single cell. And they can metastasize until it becomes a, a way of life. We live a lie. My mother died of cancer. It was in her back in different parts of her body, but the point of origin was her lung. Where is the point of origin for lies? Well, there's a couple of points of origin. One is our media. Our media lies to us every day. Now, media isn't evil in and of itself, but some of the things that are communicated are. Things like, you're not happy with what you already have. And so you're going to be discontented and we're going to deceive you on that level until you purchase what we have. Or another one is, every body type should be the same for women, for men. You see, I've gotten over that. <laughs> uh, I've worked through that. Uh, uh, there are lies in terms of body image, in terms of materialism, and, and there's a number of lies that are communicated through media. Uh, another is, sadly, through those closest to us. Some of our dearest friends, even family members, in their own brokenness have lied to us. They've told us some things that are not true. Things like, if there's a wrong way to do something, you'll find it every time. Or I know one woman who actually heard this from her mother. It would have been better if you had never been born. And I've heard a father say to a son, you're a loser. You see, that comes out of brokenness, which is a birthplace for lies. And what happens is these lies become mottos by which people live by. And then they become self-fulfilling prophecies. What is the point of origin? Well, I think there's a primary one, and the Scripture names him Satan. There's an evil one at work, and he is crafty. It's interesting how he works. Uh, he's good at giving misinformation, everything from when he tried to deceive Eve in the garden about information not true related to a tree in the center of the garden, uh, to tempting Jesus in the wilderness. He's the father of lies, the Bible says, of misinformation. 
And, and it's interesting, he's still at work today, and he's consistent. And, and there, there is a damaging effect, regardless of the point of origin, that can happen. I mean, sociologists tell us that we're in an age of information, but I want to suggest to you that sometimes I see us in an age of overload information, maybe misinformation, or at least when we receive information, it's a lot harder to sort out what is really true. And so deception can step in truth suffers. And, and one of the reasons why it's hard is because we hear half-truths most of the time. They're not 100% true lies. They're half-truths. I mean, Satan was good with the serpent and that the serpent made a half-truth statement. He said, truly, God is good. And if God is good, wouldn't he want you to have everything you desire? You see, that's, that's partly true. God is good by nature, but his love has restraint. His love has boundaries. And so my desire may not be absolutely in line with his will. They can be destructive, damaging not only to us but to others. And why is it that, that they're so dangerous? One is they, they rob us of the full truth that's available to us. They contaminate our perspective and worldview, and they distort our grasp on reality. Why is it that they're so attractive? I think one reason is we think we're going to make up ground. It seems like a shortcut if we buy into a lie. And so today, I want to say to you that you may have been a victim of some lies, a victim that was imposed upon you, or maybe a victim of your own choosing. And some of the lies we're going to look at over the next five weeks, and uh, counting today, I, I want you to journey with us, because we're going to look at the nature of these lies the distortion of these lies, and the truth that confronts them. There's some good news on the back end of every message. And, and some of these are, in your message notes, I can't change. I am a failure. I don't need religion or a relationship with Christ. I'm in control. I, I learned that lie a long time ago. That is, that is a lie. And, and another one is, I don't have a problem. And so these are familiar lies, and today we're just going to take one. And the focus fallacy, if you would, today is I'm the only one struggling. And I want to suggest to you, all of us, every one of us that have entered this room, at times have felt, hey, no one else could have possibly felt or be dealing with what I'm dealing with with my challenge with this time of testing in my life, with a trial like this one, all of us have felt alone in those moments. And yet we're not alone. Even if you look in the Bible, you'll see stories that are very familiar. Elijah defeated 400 prophets of Baal, went into a deep, dark depression. If you read that, it's the classic clinical depression description and he cries out to God and says, there surely is no one more righteous than me. I'm the only righteous one left. I'm all alone. 
who else could be like me? And God said, oh, there's 7,000 not far from here that are righteous, and I want you to go and offer leadership to them. You'll find them faithful. And then David. David laments, doesn't he? He cries out to God. He says, God, I've been betrayed. I've been forsaken. I'm all alone. And God, he says, he comes full circle. He, he comes to a resolution, and he says, you are faithful. And you've been with me all along. Well, look with me in your message notes and on the screen as we take a look at a passage that I think is very important. Exodus uh, chapter 3, verse 7 through 15. But we're going to just take a look at, uh, at part of that. And we're going to look at verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. What do we have here? We have a holy moment where God is calling Moses to help free his chosen people, the Israelites, out of captivity in Egypt. And anytime someone's called, that's a holy time and a holy place and he says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And Moses says, what is it you want me to do? He says, I want you to go and I want you to help free my people. I have seen their suffering. Get this. I have seen their suffering. It's right there in the scripture. I have seen the affliction of my people and I have given heed to their cry. In other words, God's saying, I'm not just taking notes. I'm fully aware of their suffering. I, I hear it. I see it. And I'm going to be fully engaged. Because you're going to reconnect with this mountain. You're going to come and you're going to worship on this mountain as a reminder that we went through this together. And you're going to see my faithfulness. Isn't that wonderful? that when it comes to the lie of I'm the only one struggling, we have the scripture that collectively shows us that when we are in community with one another, when we are in community as a church, not only do we come together to worship, we've done that in a powerful way. In part, it's a reminder for us that God is faithful and we come together. But the other is this, that we do life together, that we're in this together, that we offer courage to one another. That's what encouragement is. It's the gift of giving courage to the person next to you, especially when they feel alone and they feel isolated. I remember a while back I was serving a church and, and a, a young woman wanted so much. Her and her husband wanted to have children and they had multiple miscarriages. And I, I remember how desperate they were and, and how sad they were and, and they were discouraged. And, and God really put it upon my heart and, and, and helped me to remember another woman that had multiple miscarriages but had two children. And so I said to the woman, I want you to speak to this other woman 
because I think you'll find power in the story. And they were able to talk to each other, and the one who longed to have a child was encouraged by the one who had walked through similar waters. And the one who did not have children has two beautiful young girls now. You see, there's, there's strength when we're able to come together. And we do that as a church. And I want to say to you, it's good that you're here today. It's good that you've come to worship here in CLC. And we want to encourage you to do that. In fact, you're on a streak. Way to go. Thank you. Appreciate that laughter, Rachel. Uh, somebody's interactive. That's good. Um, but you're on a streak. You're on a roll. you got some momentum. Stay with it. But let me say this, you're really missing something if you're not in a small group, if you're not in a Sunday school class, if you're not in a Bible study, if you're, if you're not in a ministry group somewhere, you're, you're really missing the blessing of community because it's that place where people laugh with us and they get to know us and they cry with us and, and they encourage us to be better than we would have been without them. And most of all, they pray for us. And so to be in community is a truth that confronts the lie that you're struggling all alone. All right? But the other is this, and this is the awesome news, even better news than the fact that people are around you to encourage you. Yes, we're to carry each other's burdens, and when we do that to fulfill the law of Christ... But I want to say to you, there's, there's something else. The truth that confronts the lie. I'm the only one struggling. That lie that some of us have lived. I'm the only one struggling. The truth that confronts that is Christ. You see, the church being in community means we're with one another. We're doing life together. We're encouraging one another. We're standing with one another. And I like that flesh and blood, knowing that someone's coming alongside of me. But the wonderful thing for us is we have a creator that morphed himself into human flesh, and we call it the incarnation. Christ came and dwelt among us. Look at Isaiah. Isaiah helps us. Chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely, Isaiah is telling us about Jesus. Surely Jesus took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. And he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Hallelujah. That's awesome news. That we don't have a God that's just taking notes on our suffering. We've got a God that hears our suffering. That sees our struggle. And has entered into it. That is awesome. We have a God who was described by the Bible as the man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Jesus was despised and rejected by others. He was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering and pain. The Hebrew word yada in this passage 
can mean a lot of different things, but in this context, get this, it means that Jesus had intimate, first-hand experience with pain and with suffering. And so I want to share with you this. Let's say you're unique. Let's say no one you know is aware of the kind of struggle that you're going through. Just for the sake of argument, let's say that in some ways you're alone in your suffering, humanly speaking. I have great news for you. That's not true because you have other human beings that are praying for you and care for you and love you and are in the struggle with you, but, and you've got to engage them, but here's the awesome news. You have a God who's right there. Regardless of what human beings may do, you have a God that can say, been there, done that. And you have a God that is victorious. And you have a God that comes alongside of you. No, He lives in you. The word for Holy Spirit in the New Testament is paraclete. It's likened to the word parasite. It means the Spirit of Christ attaches Himself to you and will not let go. And so no matter what you're going through, I have truth for you today. Truth that confronts the lie. You're not going through this alone. I love the story. Max Licato tells it, and uh, I've told it in different teaching settings about the little boy, and he longed for a dog. He wanted a stray, uh, kind of a stray dog that maybe was taken to the pound. He wanted to uh, kind of have that rescue mission uh, feel about it, and so he, he did his chores, and he saved his money, and he looked at the dog pound, and the attendant said, go on back, and there's some crates back there. Take a look, and he found one, and he came back, and the man said, you don't have enough money. And so he said, that's fine. I'll go cut some more yards. I'll do some more chores. And sure enough, he comes back and he's hoping the one that he picked would still be there. And so he, he took the money to the man and the, the man said, okay, go pick your dog out. And he brought the dog and checked him out. And the man said, you don't want this dog. You don't want this dog. This dog is crippled. It has one leg shorter than the other three. It hobbles around. It's never going to be able to do the things that you are going to want a dog to do. It's never going to be able to fetch. You don't want this dog. And the boy said, I want this dog, mister. And he said, no, you don't. This is, this, is a, this is a handicap. This is a broken dog. You don't want a broken There's other dogs. I want this dog. And he gave him the money. And he took the dog. The little boy took the dog. And he walked towards the door. And the man understood why he picked that dog. When he pushed the door open to let the little boy out, the little boy had a brace on his leg. You see, that's Christ. Christ has come and become part of us. And he enters into our suffering. Now here's the catch. And as we live for him, we enter into his. For there's a cost to discipleship. There's a sacrifice that we join in with him. 
And so as our praise band comes and our worship team comes, I'm going to invite them to come. I want to say to you today the truth. I want you to take this truth home with you. The truth is you are not alone. For you're in community starting this year. In 14, you're already here in community and you're in Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you came and you dwelt among us. We thank you that you endured everything. You endeared yourself to us, but you endured all things. That we might be made well. And that we would know, without a shadow of doubt, we're not alone. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.